turn to um, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Uh, we're going to pick up there. I'm going to, if the Lord will help me, I'm going to try and pick up the pace just a little bit tonight so that we can catch up because I, uh, I got caught up in some preaching last week when I should have been teaching, and so I got behind, started meddling and chasing rabbits. I don't know if you've ever done that before, but had a hard time making my way back to it, but uh, we're going to see what we can accomplish tonight. Uh, chapter 4 of Ecclesiastes, and again, let me remind you uh, that I am reading from the HCSB version. It's a new version of the Bible, and uh, it's very similar to the ESV, which I typically do use, uh, but it's a little bit different and a little easier to understand. So uh, you'll, you'll bear with me in doing that so that we can get uh, the idea of what's going on. The main message, as we have said, of Ecclesiastes is that the wise man Solomon was, was imparting a partial revelation because he had not yet received all of the revelation that would come later. And so his assumptions were that life is lived under the sun. Uh, this life that we live, we are born, we live, we die, and then that's it. And that's really all of the revelation that he had at that time. Now, some people take offense to that because they say, well, no, God's always been revealing himself, and that's true. He has. He's always been revealing, but he has not yet revealed everything that there is to know about his character and about his nature. And so he's been revealing himself to, to mankind over a period of time. So the comments that he makes, we have to understand, come from that partial or limited revelation that God has given to him. So let's begin with verse 1 in chapter 4 where it says, Again, I observed all the acts of oppression that are being done under the sun. Look at the tears of those who are oppressed. They have no one to comfort them. Power is with those who oppress them. They have no one to comfort them. So I admired the dead who have already died more than the living who are still alive. Now we're going to talk about that in just a moment. That's quite a statement that he makes there. Um, and then verse 3, but better... Then either of them is the one who has not yet existed, who has not seen the evil activity that is done under the sun. So he takes on this, this subject now of oppression. And he talks about how that there are oppressors who oppress the oppressed. And there's nothing that the oppressed can do against the oppressors because the oppressors have the power that they need. And by power, he's talking about they are in positions of power. They are in places of authority that allow them to do things and to oppress people in ways that they have no control over whatsoever. Let me give you an example in real life. My son came to me today in the daycare, and he said, I have a problem with the car, 
He said, there's some thumping on the driver's side right front. He said, doesn't do it all the time, but he said, it does it enough that, you know, that something needs to be done. So I said, well, I'm, I'm not a mechanic. I can't help you. I don't, I don't really know what to tell you. So I said, it, it could be a tire. I said, it could be a, 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 a drum I, or, or, excuse me, a, a rotor. I said, it could be, could be a lot of things. You probably just need to get it checked out. He said, I think I'm going to run it down here to Big O's because it's easy, it's quick, it's fast, it's close by, I'm going to do that. So he goes down, and he asks them, he explains, and they said, well, pull it into the bay, and we will, uh, we will see if we can find out. Long story short, when they took the, the wheels off, when they took the lug nuts off, they broke some of the lug nuts. In fact, they may have broken all of them, I don't know. And so he had this tire that had no lug nuts now. And so, so they said to him, I don't know what we're going to do. We broke your lug nuts. We're going to have to get some more so that you can put them on and then leave when you get ready to leave. They said, that'll be $65, please. And he looked at them and, and you'd, you'd have to know Jonathan. He's pretty mild natured guy. You know, he doesn't get really upset about a whole lot. He's pretty even-keeled, but he got angry, and he got upset. And he said, now, let's think about this for a minute. I came down here to ask you to check out my car to see if you could fix it, for which I was willing to pay you money to fix my car, and yet you haven't found anything wrong with my car, but you've done damage to my car. And you now want to charge me $65 for the damage that you did to my car. And they said, yeah, you pretty well have it figured out. And now he got even madder because it was like, you know, he, he, I guess he was expecting that since he had explained it so well to them, what had happened that they would say, you know what, you're right. You are absolutely right. It was all our fault and not your fault at all. Hey, we'll get the lug nuts and put them on there and no problem. No way, Jose. He said, well, your car can just sit here in the, in the place and, and you can do whatever you want to do. But if you want lug nuts on it, it's going to be $65. But to make a long story short, after he had prayed in the spirit for a while, <clears throat> he paid them the money, got the lug nuts put on and drove off to which he said to me, I will never do business with them again. And I said, all right, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's probably wisdom. But the point is this. Here was a situation where he had some people who were in a place of power and had gained influence over that situation, if you will, and he was powerless. All right, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to call the police? What are they going to do? You're going to get a lawyer? You're going to sue them over $65? What are you, you going to do? You're going to pay the $65, and you're going to go home. It is a, and I'm, you know, and I'm not trying to say that they're a poor place of business or anything like that. I'm just saying in this situation, here was a situation where Jonathan was, was in it. He didn't want to be in it. He wasn't asking for it, but he was in it. And the choices that he had were very few. 
And so, long story short, he paid the $65, and he got the car, and he, he still has the problem in the upper left side. But at least he has his car back with brand spanking new lug nuts, you know? And so what I'm telling you is, is that there are times in life when you find yourself in situations where there, there, there's just nothing that you can do about it. You're, do you remember in chapter 3 when he gives us the 14 marisms and one of them, he said there's a time to hold and there's a time to let go. So the problem is, is that our human nature wants to keep holding on and keep holding on and keep holding on. And sometimes we just have to let some things go. There are some people that hurt us years ago and we're still holding on to the hurt. We still think about it from time to time. It still occupies a space in our mind. And there comes a time when we just have to let it go. Because otherwise, they are still oppressing you, even though the circumstance had, took place years ago. It's not because they're still saying those things. It's not because they still hold that power over you. The reality is, is that you are keeping them in power by refusing to, forgiving them, to forgive them and let them go. There, there are times that you just have to say, well, I wouldn't have wanted it this way. I wouldn't have drawn it up this way. But I really don't have any power to do anything different in this situation than I can do to resolve it and then move on. So that's what he's talking about here. He's saying, he's saying that there are oppressors that do not comfort those who are being oppressed. And then he says, I want you, I want you to see this uh, verse 2. He said, so in that context, he said, I admired the dead who have already died. <laughs> now think about that. Think about that for a moment. I have, I admired the dead who have already died. Now in the Hebrew, the, um, the commentators say that the way that that line is structured is that what he is saying is, is that there are living dead and there are dead dead. That there, that there are those who were dead and now they really are dead. I mean, they're, they're not living anymore. They're in the grave. It's, it's over, done, finito. They are dead. But what he's referring to here is, is that there are, there are dead people who are still alive. Does that make sense to you? Do you know anybody like that? What is that show on television or the movies? Uh, something about the walking dead. I, don't, I haven't seen it. I don't know. But what is it? Night of the Living Dead. What are you doing up there, Lawana? You'll get a nosebleed up there, girl. Thank you very much. Somebody needs to keep him under control. <laughs> Night of the Living, Walking Dead. So he's saying, he's saying, I'm looking at the dead people who are already dead, and I admire them because they've already checked out. They're, they're already done. But there are dead people who are still alive. And he said, I even admire them. Because at least they know what their end is. And then he goes on and he said, 
I admire them more than the living who are still alive. So he's looking at the people who are alive. They're, they're exuberant. They're happy. They're joyful. They're, somebody asked me before church, said, how come you're always positive? Okay, how come you're always happy? And I, the, the truth of the matter is that I'm not always happy. But when I'm not happy, I don't know if you know this or not, but we have the authority to take our thoughts captive and make them come under subjection to the Spirit of God that is in us. I, I had a few extra seconds today, and I, and, and I was strolling, scrolling down through my social media feed, and one of them was frustrated with this, and another one was frustrated with that, and one of them was angry about this and angry about that, and one of them said, well, I'm, I'm exhausted, and another one said, I'm tired, and another one said, and I, so I just came up with this piece of wisdom, and I put it on there, and I just simply said, what mindset have you talked yourself into today? Pastor Rob. That's all I said. It can preach itself, amen? And so often we, we talk ourselves into particular mindsets. I, if I want to be angry with you, I can be angry with you. I can, be, I can be angry with you for moving to Florida. Why can't I go to Florida and lay out on the beach and have me a, a place sit down there where I can go out and stick my big toe in the, in, the, in the water all the time. If I wanted to, I could get upset with you and upset with God and upset with everybody. But we, we bring our thoughts into subjection to the Spirit of God that is in us. And that's, why I, that's the reason I like to say all the time, you hear me say it all the time, expect the best. Why worry now about something that hasn't even developed yet? Look at it by faith. Look at it through a great mindset of expectation. This could be fantastic. This could be the most wonderful thing that's ever happened to me. This could be, I, I remember I worked with an overseer several years ago and, and he got moved when he wasn't ready to get moved. He didn't want to get moved, and, uh, but they put him somewhere else. And he was a little upset by it. And I said, I said, brother, and I called his name. I said, just think. I said, I know you're upset right now. I said, but you're getting ready to go and do what you've always wanted to go and do. I heard you talk about it. It's all you ever talk about. It's in your mind. It's in your heart. It's on your lips. I said, now you get that opportunity. He went and he started doing those things. And you know, it wasn't too long, several months down the road, I guess, that I saw him. And he was just as happy as could be. I mean, it hadn't had a negative effect on him whatsoever because it turned to something positive when he turned his mindset to positive things. He said, but, he said, but now listen, I, I admired the dead who are already dead more then I, I admired the living who are still alive. And then verse 3, but better than either one of them is the one who has not yet existed. What's he talking about? He's saying it would have been better not to have been born at all than to, to live and be alive or to be dead and then dead. He said it would be better if you had never been conceived. Now that's... That, that's pretty, pretty heavy stuff right there. 
But that's what he's talking about. He's talking about this world of oppression. As I read that today, my heart was just heavy for the United States of America today. I read in the news, like many of you did, that in Chicago already, this year already, there have been 500 shooting deaths in Chicago. Already. And that's not even counting the rest of September, October, November, and December. That's crazy. That's awful. We're told that in Louisville, and I thought, I, th I think in the same report, they said that it's been somewhere in the 80s, 81 or 82, somewhere in that neighborhood, that in Louisville, people have been shot to death. The oppressors are oppressing people, and, and seemingly, seemingly, there's nothing that can be done about it. And now we have this big thing going on in our country where you have the Black Lives Matter, and then you have the Blue Lives Matter, You've got the police officers against the black community, and now they're going back and forth, shooting one another, killing one another. And let me just tell you, it doesn't matter who started it. Somebody has to stop it. Somebody has to come to a place where they say, there has to be a positive resolve to this situation. Now, I'm, I'm very careful about what I say in terms of politics and things of that nature. I'm going to tell you, they could take every gun away from everybody that owns one. It won't fix the problem because it's not a gun problem. It's a heart problem. And people who want guns, they're going to find guns. Now, I, I do believe. Now, I might get in trouble with some of you. I do believe we need to look at some of our gun laws and see if modification is not necessary in this day that we live in. But just taking away all the guns for the sake of taking them away, will not work because it's a system of oppressors that are oppressing the oppressed. And it's not just the cops. It's people on the streets that are oppressing as well. Think about all the police officers who have recently been killed and shot by people just walking up to the car that they're doing patrol in and sticking a gun in there and taking their lives. And at the same time, there are crooked cops who are doing things that they should have never been doing and they're oppressing others based on the authority that they have in that badge. So, now if you want to get mad at me, you can. I, I'm just trying to bring a point here. This is, this is exactly what... Solomon is talking about. He said, under the sun, people cannot even get along long enough to stop oppressing one another. There are marriages that one is an oppressor and the other one is the oppressed. There are marriages where one is the abuser and another one is the abused. That's what he's talking about here. He's saying, under the sun that this is the type of evil activity that is going on. But now let's not forget that we're not just living under the sun. There is coming a reckoning day. There is coming a judgment day. God, the righteous judge, he has not been fooled by anything. All the politicians today, you know, well, this one's lying about this. Oh, yeah? Well, that one's lying about that. 
and this one lied last week, and this one lied last week, and this one this, and this one that, and it's oppression on top of oppression on top of oppression, and I may not have all the facts, but I know one who does. And one of these days, it will all come together, and it will all come to light. Anybody have a comment about any of that section? Yes. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And, and there's so many levels involved in it as well because, you, you know, some communities would say, well, it's because of the drugs. It's because we're oppressed by drugs. Uh, who was it? it? It was in the news just today or maybe yesterday about somebody who swallowed like a hundred packages of drugs to keep from the police officer, officer not, not in Louisville, but somewhere in the United States, in order to hide the drugs, swallowed a hundred packets of drugs. That, that, that's unbelievable to me. But that's the oppression. We have these kids that are on the streets that they're being taught at a very young age that they can get drugs anytime that they want them. And then those drugs take over their lives. And they know that once they get them hooked, that that oppression will stay with them until that addiction is broken. You talk about human trafficking in the, in the research that I've said. We, ha we have more sex slaves in the United States today than ever we had uh, slaves in the, in the old days. They're brought in here from other countries. They are immediately hooked on drugs. And in order to be able to work through the addiction that they are being held by, they have to sell their bodies and give all the money away uh, to the ones who are oppressing them. And that's, that's what Solomon's saying. He said, if, if all you do is take that stuff into consideration, and that's all that happens under the sun, it's a miserable place to live. But don't forget, Jesus is going to come into the picture when Christ comes in, what was meaningless will now become meaningful because of him. Verse 4, I saw that all labor and all skillful work is due to a man's jealousy of his friend. This too is futile in pursuit of the wind. The fool folds his arms and consumes his own flesh. Better one handful with rest than two handfuls with effort and a pursuit of the wind. Now, let's talk about what he's saying here. We all have to work, right? We work to eat. Well, not everybody has to work. That's pretty clear. But the way that God designed it is, is that we were all designed to work. And that, that our work was to be fulfilling. But now he's saying that the reason behind our working the way that we do is because we actually get jealous of those who are around us. Now, let me explain what that means. We're not, in other words, he's saying we don't work just to have grits and eggs. We don't work just to have a place uh, where we can have a roof over our head. We're not satisfied with just having just ample clothing to wear. We're not satisfied to buy our clothes from Walmart or from wherever. 
We look at our neighbor and we see all that they have and we determine, I got to have that too. If they can drive a Lexus, I can drive a Lexus too. If they can drive a Mercedes, I can drive one too. Reminds me of that old song. Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Anybody remember that one? <laughs> and so we start comparing. It's called, in America, it's called keeping up with the Joneses. And we look at their house and we look at their clothes and we look at their family and we look at all of their prosperity. And that's what's wrong with religion in the United States today because everybody wants more, 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 more. Preachers get on TV and talk about if you'll just sow additional seed, you'll get more, 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 more. And it's all about this idea that I need more. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, so we, we see our neighbors and we see how they have something that we don't have. So we're willing to work additional hours. We're willing to work overtime. We're willing to take a second job. We're willing to, you know, to, to do whatever we need to do, start a business in our home to accumulate these funds so that we can have in our lives what our friends and our neighbors have. But then he goes on to say this in verse 6. He said, it would be better to have one handful and the ability to rest than to have two handfuls with the effort and a pursuit of the wind. You know, I don't know that we'll ever get back to this place in the United States or not, but there was a day when life was much simpler. I just, you know, I carry this, this thing around with me most of the time, and it's a tool. I'm not angry at it. It's not sinful. You know, there, there's no devil in it. It's called a telephone. It's what it is. People call me on this phone at all hours of the night, text me, send me messages. It's okay. It's what I'm here for. I don't mind it at all. But you know, there are people who say, I'm not going to have one of those and throw it out in the bushes. And, but it's a tool. It's something that we have. But let me tell you, here's the point I'm trying to make. This one's about two or three years old. I don't need another one. This one is perfectly fine with me. In fact, I wish it would stop working some days because it works too well. But did you know that Apple came out with a brand new telephone today? How many of you knew that? You know how much they are? They start at $649. Now, if you want one, go get one. I don't care. I mean, I praise the Lord. Have one. If you got the money and you want it, Nothing wrong with it. Even Solomon said, just consider it a blessing from the Lord and enjoy it and do whatever it is that you want to do with your phone. But here's, here's what happens and here's the pattern. Oh, you got a nice new phone there. What kind is that? Man, that's nice. I just got this old iPhone. It's three years old. What can yours do that mine can't do? Oh, really? Yours is thinner than mine. Oh, I like yours a whole lot better. The skin's better. The, the screen's better. It's, a, it's better. I need a new iPhone. And instead of being satisfied with a full single hand and rest, 
we have to work so hard to provide two handfuls and no rest whatsoever. Do you see the point that he's trying to make? We have to have more. We have to obtain more. We have to do more. We have to be more. We have to be seen as more. And so we worry all through our whole lives. I used to, when I was a young man, I used to think, oh, God, help me to pastor the largest church in the church of God. You know, when you're young, you have all kinds of stupid dreams and, (laughs) you know, ideas. And I'm here at this point in my life, I'm perfectly happy with what I've got. Amen. I am thrilled absolutely to death every day to be able to call this home. I don't look at other pastors that have churches that are bigger than mine and say, oh, I wish I had that. Uh Uh-uh. No. I'm going to take the one hand that I've got and rest. I was telling we I had a conversation with Jonathan the other day because the daycare has now come to a place where we're making a profit. And somebody should have shouted and said amen right there. I mean, we we've got our employees, they're all getting their paychecks on time and and, and now we're able to pay for the for the the, the uh, materials, the goods, the the whatever it is that they have to get. The what? Supplies. Goldfish. Hallelujah for goldfish. Amen? I mean, we, you know, we buy diapers. We got all that stuff. We're at a place. We're able to do all that, and we got a little extra money. And he was, he was just fretting. I need, I need to hire another employee and I, <clears throat> because I need, to, I need to open up this classroom. And if we can open up this classroom, then we can, inv- we, we can enroll you know, this many kids. And, and, and he said, he, he told me something. He said, it takes three kids to pay one employee for the most part, you know, depending when you take all the other factors in. And he said, so I got to hire somebody else so we can open another door, so we can open another classroom. I said, breathe deep, son. I said, sit down in that chair and let me tell you something. I said, let's look at the bottom line right here. We're in the black. We don't have to take any more kids if we don't want them. I said, why don't we just rest a while? Why don't we just take a few weeks and just say, we don't really care if any kids come in here or not at this point. We've come to a place where we are making it in a very positive way now, so why worry? Why stay? He said, I didn't sleep at all last night. And I said, oh, I slept good. I said, I slept fine. And so my point is, is that we can sometimes put all this additional pressure on us and go out and try to operate in a two-hand world when many times one hand and rest is greater than two hands and stress. Somebody ought to say amen to that. I don't know where you're at. Do you have two hands in stress? Or do you have one hand in rest? That's what he's talking about right there. He said, just cool your jets, boys. We're in a good place. Everything's okay. God is blessing. Let's rest. Verse 7, again, I saw futility under the sun. There's a person without a companion, without even a son or a brother, And though there is no end to all of his struggles, his eyes are still not content with riches. 
So who am I struggling for, he asked, and depriving myself from good? This too is futile and a miserable task. In other words, he's picturing someone who has worked so hard that it's as though he doesn't even have a family in his life. You know, it, he's, he's by himself. He's working all day long, every day, and it's not benefiting him because he has no one else in his life. And he finally wakes up one day and he says, who am I doing this for? Who am I, who am I doing this for? It's like we think, well, if I work hard, I can give my kids this. But you know what your kids really want? They don't want that as much as they want you. They want a dad. That's one of the things wrong with America today. We got dads that have cut and run for years now, and we got all these boys that they don't even know what it is to have had a dad because dad left a long time ago. And so we have this environment now where we, we don't have anyone in our life. And he said, it's just futile and it's miserable. Verse 9, two are better than one. Before I read the rest of this, let me stop long enough to tell you that these next few verses, uh, according to the commentators and, and the ones who study deeply these kinds of texts, they recognize a trend in Solomon's writing here where it's less about now under the sun and the tone of, uh, of Ecclesiastes, and it moves more toward what you would read in the book of Proverbs. It sounds a whole lot more like Proverbs where he's giving spoonfuls of wisdom. There used to be a set of commentaries years ago called Spoonfuls on Purpose or Handfuls on Purpose is what it was. And he's, it, that's what he's talking about now. He's, he's giving little handfuls and spoonfuls. He said, so he said, verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. In other words, we can share the labor. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one person alone keep warm? Electric blankets, that's how. <laughs> and if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. And a cord of three strands is not easily broken. So what he's talking about here now is the power in community. Working together. I, I can be a lone wolf if I want to. Or I can take someone with me and we can work together. And we can take the strain and the load off. And he says even three would be better than two. Because if you compare it to a, a rope that has three strands, you can't snap it. You can't break it. A piece of thread, you can, you can usually pull that and break it. But a three, three cord, a cord that has three pieces is not easily broken. So he's talking about the power of community. He's talking about us all coming together. And this is a theme that we see all throughout Scripture. I made up my mind, it's been probably a couple of years ago now, in prayer, 
And the Lord spoke so clearly to me. And I'm asking him to build the church. Build the church, Lord. Lord, will you build the church? Lord, you said you'd build the church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Lord, will you build the church? And just as simple as could be, the, the Holy Spirit said, yeah, I will. I've been trying to do that all along. And if you'll get out of my way, <clears throat> I'll keep doing it. He said, because every time you try to build the church, that doesn't come together the way that it should when I build the church. And I said, well, then what do you want me to do? And he said, I just want you to build the people. He said, I'll bring the people, I'll put the church together, but once they get here, they need someone who will pour into their lives and give them what they need so that they can become everything that I intend for them to be. So you build the church, I'll build, he said, you build the people, I'll build the church. And that's, the re that's what I've been doing. I've been trying to release as much as I can release. I told a young man this last week, he said, I'm thinking about coming back to the church. He said, my wife and I, we, we think we're going to come back. And I said, that's fine. I said, but let me stop you. I know that you play the bass guitar. And if you come back to our church, you have to replace the bass player who is currently playing bass for the church. And he just looked at me. He said, well, who's playing the bass? I said, you're looking at him. And so if you come, I just want you to know I'm going to give it to you as soon as I can get it in your hands. I've just made up my mind that I'm going to start developing people. I've got a dinner date tomorrow night with a young couple in the church. I asked them to come to dinner. They're scared to death of what I'm going to tell them. They don't have any idea. But I'm going to tell them, you've got it all wrong right now what you're trying to do. Let me help you. I want to help you. I think I can help you. I think I've got some wisdom that you need because you don't have all the wisdom right now that you think you have. And I'd like to help you to achieve that and get to that place in your life where God will be able to use you in a spectacular way. I've just made up my mind, I'm going to start pouring into other people. I'm going to start releasing other people to do the work that God has enabled you to do so that I can be doing other things that God has called me to do. And so we have to do that. We work together. Strands, not easily broken. He goes on, verse 13, better is a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer pays attention to warnings. Old, foolish kings. Did you catch that? He said it'd be better to be youthful and wise to be old and foolish. I went to see my doctor today, not because I wanted to, but because he required it of me. They wouldn't give me a, a prescription that I needed. And, and he said, well, you haven't been here in over a year and you get nothing else from me until you come see me. And I didn't want to go because I knew that I had picked up a little bit of weight and he was going to fuss at me. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. And sure enough, the first thing they asked me to do was get on the scale. And I started saying, let me take my clothes off and let me take my shoes off. And they said, no, just keep your clothes on and get on the scale. And I got on the scale and then here it came. 
Now, you know that you've gained a little weight. Yes, I know that. I didn't have to have you to tell me that. I know that. When you know, he said, what, what do you think caused that? And I said, really? What? I said, isn't that what I'm paying you for? And he's laughing. I said, I'll tell you why I've gained a little weight. It's because I've been eating too many cookies and I haven't been exercising. And he said, well, then why don't you live by your own wisdom? I wanted to hit him. <laughs> but that's what Solomon's saying here. He said, why don't we just live by the wisdom that we have? Why don't we live based on the, the life learning that has come our way over the years? Well, that's really what I was trying to say Sunday about people that don't finish. They just don't finish well. They don't square their shoulders and say, yes, I'm going through a hard time, but this is not the first time I've gone through a hard time, and God got me through it the first time, and God's going to get me through it this time, and if I can just apply the principles of the Word of God that I know are yes and amen, I can get through it this time just like I got through it last time. And devil, I'm not going to give up, and I'm not going to quit, and I'm not going to let you have the victory. I'm going to finish strong. Don't you want to finish strong? And that's really what he's talking about here. So let's keep reading. Better, better is a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who is no longer pays attention to warnings, for he came from prison to be king even though he was born poor in his kingdom. I saw all the living who move about under the sun follow a second youth who succeeds him. There is no limit to all the people who were before them, yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. This too is futile and a pursuit of the wind. You know what he's saying? He's saying none of us are expendable. None of us are. There will come a time in all of our lives when we have to toss it over to somebody else. Because our bodies run down, our bodies are not capable anymore, our time is up, and so we have to give it over to somebody else. As a pastor, there have been times that I was so disappointed to see a work that we had invested so much of our lives in, Donna and I, and build it up and see it grow and move through obstacles. I remember one church we planted from scratch and we saw it build and it was the church where we had the pedophile that was in the church and when that news got out, the whole, you, you would have thought the whole and, it, and rightfully so. It just, it, you thought it was just going to come apart, come apart, come apart. The man was convicted, put in jail, put in prison. And we, we had to deal with this, you know, oh, that's the church that had the pedophile. Yeah. But somehow the Lord helped us. And we moved through that. And we got the church on solid ground. And my overseer called me one day and he said, Rob, you've worked very hard and I can see that this assignment has taken a lot out of you. And he said, I need to move you over here and let you rest a while. 
and I'm going to send brother so-and-so over here who's good. He's a good finisher, and he's going to come and take this thing from where it is to where it will go. I was young, a little bit stupid, and I said, Bishop, if that's what you want me to do, that's what I'll do. And we left, and they installed the other pastor, and under his ministry, that church fell absolutely apart and now does not even exist any longer because of the work that he did. He, I didn't realize that the bishop was prophetic. He was a good finisher. He finished it off. <clears throat> and there have been so many times that Donna and I in conversation have said, I wonder what would have happened. I wonder if we had. I wonder if this. I wonder. But you know what? I can't live like that. I can't live like that. The fact was my time had to be finished for whatever reasons. And when I left, I had to turn it over to somebody that was going to pick up. And, and when they didn't, it was very hard for me to deal with. And it's not just preachers and pastors, but you deal with these kinds of things all the time as well. Did you ever have a house that you grew up, when, uh, grew up in and you worked on it and you fixed it up and you painted it and you added on a, on a room and you put a garage on the back and man, you had new landscaping and it was good and then you decided, let's sell this thing and move across town and you, you sold your baby and you go across town and then five years later you come back and you go by and you expect to see that little baby there looking good and the eaves are falling off and the roof is blown off and, and the landscaping is dug up and, and it makes you want to hurt somebody physically, doesn't it? But see, what we have to realize is, is that there's transition all throughout life and that's what he's saying here. He's saying you're going to have to hand things over. And when you do, you have no control over how it's going to turn out once it is out of your hands. Good teaching right there. Good Solomon did a good job in that chapter. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you'll help us to grab hold of it, put it into our spirits, and to live according to it, to draw strength from it, to be encouraged. Let our faith build because of it. And Father, we'll give you the praise for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.